Week number five of the series that we're doing called The Apprentice, Becoming What God Wants You to Be. It's uh, six weeks in the six chapters of the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is a letter, an inspired letter, written by the apostle Paul to his protege, his, his apprentice, Timothy. And Paul's advice to this young and up-and-coming leader in the early church details the essentials every leader must master, and we're all leaders in some, one way or another. Each one of us has some responsibilities in life. Today, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, interestingly enough, in this chapter, there's a lot there about widows. Some teachings in Scripture do not translate directly into our society, and so we're looking for the underlying principle sometimes in those, those things. For instance, <clears throat> Jesus, not long before he was uh, betrayed and crucified, washed his disciples' feet. And he said, now you go and do what I've done for you. The underlying principle for that is that we should humbly serve each other, that the servant in God's house is the number one person. In our society, we don't usually walk along dirty streets and open-toed sandals to a dinner party where we're then going to recline on pillows with our feet in somebody else's face. We don't do it that way. That's the reason they had to wash feet in Jesus' day. That's the reason they, they positioned a servant there. In our day, we shower, put on our best shoes, ride in an air-conditioned car to a dinner party where we'll be sitting in a chair with those dirty feet under the table. So the principle is humbly serving each other. Next week, we get into the last chapter uh, of the book of 1 Timothy, Paul addresses slaves. God not, does not approve of slavery. We don't approve of slavery, but the under, underlying principle is employers and employees. In the first century, widows and orphans were two of the most vulnerable groups in society. Orphans are still pretty vulnerable. Pagan societies, unwanted children were just taken and left in a field somewhere. If they didn't want that child, they just put it in a field and let the gods decide whether the child was going to live or not. Because you know what happened in most uh, cases. Uh, since women in the ancient world tended to outlive men, and since there was no life insurance available and no social security available uh, uh, to them, widows often found themselves in a very vulnerable situation unable to take care of themselves. Not all widows, but many widows. There were many such women in the first century. And so the apostles had set up an organized system for providing care for those who were in need. Ancient churches, at least some of them, had lists of widows that were under the care of the church. Eventually, it seems that these widows became servants of the church. They had jobs to do. They just didn't sit around and and, and receive food and pay from the church. I know of no 21st century American church that does this in the way that Paul describes it in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We have life insurance and alimony and social security uh, and, and, and women can enter the workforce. So it's hardly necessary anymore, at least like it was in the first century. However, there is an underlying principle that we get from this, and it is that the principle of helping those that are in need, especially those who are most vulnerable. We have ministries to do that at church. Some of you have just done it on your own. April Rhodes does it on her own. Helps people uh, uh, along the way, and, and others have done a tremendous job uh, at that. James, the half-brother 
of the Lord Jesus Christ in his book that's included in the New Testament put it like this, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so that's one of the main things that we as Christians are supposed to do. So today we're going to look into 1 Timothy chapter 5 and, and read Paul's words about how leadership relates to widows and to church leaders that fall into sin or get themselves in trouble. And we'll get an idea of where great leadership will take you. So here's what we're going to look at. Three principles to which great leaders commit their lives. And the first principle is the principle of responsibility. I guess we end up talking about responsibility a lot around here because we live in a world where nobody wants to be responsible for anything. But when Paul told Timothy to take care of widows in the congregation, and to do it in an organized way, he was saying, take responsibility for helping others. Now, the difference between being a leader and a self-centered, lazy person is this. <clears throat> the self-centered, lazy person says, that's not my job. That's not my problem. Let somebody else do that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look away because I don't want to have to look at that anymore. The leader says, and by the way, the, this quotation that I'm going to give to you comes probably from uh, Rabbi Hillel the Elder, uh, who died before the time of Jesus Christ, but it, and it, it's gotten a lot of politicians in trouble for uh, saying it was said by the, the wrong person, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because it's a good saying. The leader says, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? The leader doesn't recommend a course of action. He takes responsibility for that course of action taking place. In 1 Timothy, Paul shows us three areas in which we need to take responsibility for helping others. So we're talking about responsibility, and I want to give you three areas in which we need to take responsibility for helping others. And the first one is this, take care of those who are closest to you. Take care of mom and dad, take care of family. First, Paul instructs us in how to treat various age groups. I'm just gonna start reading in verse one of 1 Timothy chapter five. Do not rebuke an, elder, an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. This is the older pastor talking to the younger pastor. And he says, now, Timothy, you're leading all, all ages of people. Older, men that are older than you, you treat them like your dad. And men that are younger than you are about the same age, treat them like a brother. Verse 2, older women treat them like mothers. And younger women treat them like sisters with absolute purity, uh, immorality within the family that makes up a church is a horrible thing. Next, Paul moves on to tell Timothy how to deal with widows in the church. Evidently, the care of widows had become a burden in the church at Ephesus, which is where Timothy was. So he says in verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Proper recognition or honor includes respect and financial support. That word goes both ways. The financial support was not for all widows, but only for those who met certain requirements. So here are the requirements. <clears throat> but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents where this is pleasing to God. Family should take care of each other, not the church's responsibility to take care of a widow that had children or grandchildren or family to take care of her. 
These are the people that are closest to you. Verse five, the widow who is really in need is left alone puts her, uh, and left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But verse six, the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Not all widows put God first. Verse seven, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. And verse eight, we'll stop there for just a second. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, their immediate family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The word provide for, anyone who does not provide for means think ahead or plan for in advance. When we read that, I bet we all think of deadbeat dads. You know, there's so many deadbeat dads in our world today that, you know, that they're not part of the home situation anymore and they don't do what they're supposed to do for their kids. But this context, Paul is speaking about parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters taking care of these people that are in your family. My older son, our older son's name is Brad. He lives in the Memphis area. He always told Gene that he was going to put a little trailer on the back of his truck so that she'd have a place to stay. You know, if I, if I wasn't in the picture anymore, he'd just pull her around. And then later on, he would tell her that he had her, her nursing home picked out for her already, not to worry about it. He had a place that he was gonna put her. Now he lives in the Memphis area, two-story house. He's got this bonus room that never has been finished. He said, you guys can come up and, and take care of that. So uh, he's had a plan. He's been thinking about us. Todd is here. Todd just does his best to keep us healthy and active. He figures we'll be able to take care of ourselves, you know, if we stay healthy and active. But, but we're supposed to provide for, think ahead, plan in advance to take care of those that are closest to us. That's our responsibility. The apostle John kind of broadened that a little bit. First John chapter three and verse 17, John said, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So take care of those who are closest to you. Here's the second thing. Number one, take care of those closest to you. Number two, take care of those who can't take care of themselves. In verse three, Paul had referred to widows who are really in need or widows indeed or widows who are truly or really widows. Then in verse nine, he goes on to describe that group in the first century. First Timothy chapter five, verse nine. No widow may, put on, may be put on the list of widows. So there's a list Church took care of these, they probably served the church. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband. Interesting phrase there. We looked at the, the qualifications of pastors and deacons last week, and, and they were supposed to be a one-woman man. Uh, this is the kind of flips it around. This widow must be a, a, a one-man woman. And verse 10. She should be well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Sounds like a real hard list to get on to me. <laughs> you know, that's, wow, that's, that's quite a woman. Over 60, been faithful to her, her husband, a one woman, a one man woman, and does all these things. Verse 11, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Verse 12, thus bringing judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Evidently, if you're going to get on the list, it was for, supposed to be for the rest of your life, verse 13. Besides, 
they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but they also, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. As our mom used to say, idle mind is the devil's workshop, right? Or empty hands or something. Verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away from following Satan. The church was not handling this properly, and they already had had some problems. Verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care. Now, this wouldn't be true of very many women, because most women were kind of on the down and out. But if you had a, uh, a, 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 a prosperous woman, uh, who maybe her husband died and they were already taking care of mom and mother-in-law and some people like this. It was her responsibility to keep on doing that. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Uh, take care of people who can't take care of themselves. Paul's main point was that there should be a system in place to look out for those who have no one looking out for them, to make sure that everyone is covered. Churches have the opportunity to help a lot of people. Uh, I'm, I'm glad for the things that we do as a church here, like our Embrace Grace ministry. I'm glad for the things that you do as individuals, uh, as the church working in the community. Uh, but we have opportunities to help many people each week. On the one hand, we don't want to enable self-destructive behavior in people like laziness and alcohol or drug uh, abuse. Paul, in fact, had said to the church uh, in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. On the other hand, it's equally wrong to turn our backs on people who are in a desperate situation and they need help getting through it. We should be on the lookout for those people. They're desperate. They have to have some help. They, they can't get by on their own. So in all of our ministries, whether it's a formal ministry of the church or whether it's in something that you do, and we should all be doing things, in all of our ministries, we have to use wisdom and generosity, wisdom and generosity, in order to be compassionately generous and wise with those who don't have the ability to take care of themselves. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. That's what the widow's ministry was in the first century. And number three, one, take care of those closest to you, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. And number three, take care of those who take care of you. Well, that's what mom and dad do, right? It is. But this goes in a little bit different direction. After discussing widows, Paul talks about a church's relationship with its leaders. Verse 17, the elders, leaders of the church, the pastors who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. And then Paul gives a proof text there. He quotes from the law, from the Old Scripture says, verse 18, do not muzzle an ox while he is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. In other words, when a person works, he deserves to get paid or be taken care of by his work. Now, as I said earlier about talking about widows, the word translated honor means both respect and financial support. 
Double honor is generally accepted to mean one of two things, either both respect and pay, you respect the person and you pay the person, or double pay, twice as much as, but nobody can figure out what the twice as much as is about. Well, some people think they have, but there's general disagreement about that. So let me just say this. While we don't pay everybody around here that works in or leads a ministry, I want to encourage you to encourage them. Take care of those who take care of you. If somebody does something uh, through the church or outside the church for you, encourage them, compliment them, thank them, respect them who sacrifice to teach you or to care for your children or to serve you in some other way. Take care of those who take care of you. That's the responsibility thing. The first principle of the three is the, uh, of the three principles that, that great leaders commit themselves to is the principle of responsibility. Just to relieve your mind a little bit, that's the long one, okay? Two more, but they're a lot shorter than that. So let's get on to number two, the principle of accountability. Now, while Paul was talking about widows who could be put on the list, he gave some qualifications, right? They were, they were accountable for the life that they had lived. She had to be over 60, faithful to her husband, well known for her good deeds, like bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping people who are in trouble, and so forth. In other words, there were some uh, accountability involved if you wanted to get on the list. I don't know very many people can make that list today, quite honestly. That's a, that'd be a tough list to get on. Then, when Paul was talking about how to deal with elders, pastors, who fall into sin, he also talks about accountability, holding people accountable. Paul was aware of two things about pastors, about church leaders, about pastors, priests, anybody who leads uh, a church or a ministry, is that number one, he was aware that, that they were always under fire, you know, always being criticized. Being a pastor, being a religious leader it is not the position in society today that it was 100 years ago. Uh, or even 50 years ago in our society, always looking, trying to find a mistake, trying to find something uh, that a pastor or religious leader has done. So Paul was aware of that in the first century. He was also aware uh, of the, the seriousness of a, of a spiritual leader, actually a leader of any kind, taking personal advantage of his position to sin or to make money or, or personal gain. So in handling those two things, first he put a heavy responsibility on anybody that would bring a charge against a leader, a, bring a, an accountability. 1 Timothy 5.19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So if you're going to bring, you be accountable. You be sure of your facts before you bring an accusation. Unfortunately, we live in a world today where certain certain positions are allowed any false accusation they want without any proof of that. This, but this statement, two or three witnesses, has long been accepted as proper. It holds people accountable. It makes it difficult to make an unsubstantiated attack on someone. But, but, if a person in a position of leadership, and especially a spiritual leader is found guilty. Verse 20 says, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take 
warning. When a church leader, when a pastor is proven guilty, you can't sweep it under the rug. You can't act like it didn't happen. Uh, you are to reprove before everyone. The everyone is the whole congregation so that others may take warning. Be careful about making a charge, but everybody is accountable. It doesn't make any difference who you are. And so he says in verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. No favorites, apply the rules evenly. A couple of intervening verses, I'm reading them all, so I might as well read these. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. One way to avoid those painful situations with elders is to be careful who you ordain. And if you're not careful, you share in the sin. Verse 23, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Numerous attitudes about this verse, but for some reason, Timothy had become a water-only drinker in an age when the water was not safe to drink and when people drank a watered-down wine to purify it and to medicate their stomach. And Paul, uh, Timothy was doing it the wrong way, so Paul said you need to put a little wine in your water to be sure it's pure and to take care of your, of your medical needs. The third thing, we looked at the principle of responsibility, this principle of accountability, everybody's accountable. And, and one more thing, the principle of inevitability or of inevitable justice. The final two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 5 are kind of interesting. You look at it and you say, what's that? You know, what's that all about? Uh, why'd they put that there? But they're really profound. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 24. The sins of some are obvious. You know some of those people, don't you? I mean, there's just a cloud around them everywhere they go. The sins People are just obvious. Re reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. They're, everybody knows they're guilty before they ever get to the judgment seat. The sins of others trail behind them. Then there's others. People are saying, I thought that guy was a good guy. You know, this, he killed his whole family. I, uh, he's my neighbor. I thought he was a wonderful person. The sins of some are obvious. The sins of others trail behind them. Verse 25, in the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Kind of may refer back to verse 22 about ordaining the right person, the wrong person or the right person. But the idea is that all people are heading for judgment, carrying with them either their sins or their good works with them. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with heaven or hell. You go to heaven because you trust Christ as your Savior. You, go, you live in the Father's house for eternity because you trust Christ as your Savior. Nobody can be good enough for that. And you go to hell because you reject Christ. Everybody, we can't make up for our sinful nature and for the sins that we commit. But we carry our works to a judgment. And so... Everybody is carrying their good works and their bad works. For some, the sins or the good works go before them and are obvious to all observers. You know, just, you, you know, a, a guy's in real trouble when he stands before the judge. I'm going to throw the book at him because he's already got a, a, a conviction list as long as your arm. For, for others, uh, their sins or their good things are hidden from view, becoming known only after the fact. 
But the principle of inevitability is this. In time, your good things and your bad things will come to light in time. I don't care what anybody thinks about you. You can hide it for a while. You can cover up for a while. You can make things, people think you're some great person that you're not for a while. Jesus once told a parable. He said there were these two men. One built a house. They both built a new house. One built it on a, 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 the sand and the other built it on a rock foundation. And it, both of them looked great for a while. And then the storm came through. And the guy that didn't build on the right foundation, his house got washed away. Now, let's apply this to each of us as we close this morning. Is there an area of your life that needs some reinforcement? Is there an area of your life where people think you're great, but you're really not doing all that well? Are you over leveraged financially? You know, you got stuff, you're looking good. Everybody thinks, well, I like to be that person. I like to live in that house, drive that car, whatever. Wear those jeans. I'd like to do that, but eventually it's gonna catch up with you that, that your finances are not handled properly unless you do something about it now to change. You can. You need to do something about it now. Is your marriage, your relationship with your family on shaky ground? Everybody thinks, well, there's, there's, a, there's a great marriage, a couple of really nice kids, you know, there's a wonderful family. Now's the time. If, if that's not real, you know, if it's just kind of all phony, now's the time to make an effort to build it into something solid. It, it's, you know, there are consequences for every bad decision that we make, but it's never too late to start working on making it right. Is your spiritual life all but non-existent? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? Everybody thinks there's a real Christian right there. Now's the time to get serious about your devotion and your obedience to God. Godly leaders have this in common. They're going where they need to go because they're moving in the, direct, the right direction. Their lives are moving in the right direction because they're founded on, the, on biblical principles, three of which we mentioned today. First of all, the principle of responsibility, taking care of others. We are responsible to take care of others. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort, not about how good I look. <clears throat> it's about what can I do for others. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? Leaders need to uh, see needs in others and find a way to meet those needs. And then there's the principle of accountability. We expect people to be accountable. We demand accountability from them. We demand accountability from ourselves, and we do not hold one to a higher standard than another. And finally, the principle of inevitability. Whatever your life is founded on, whether it's rock or sand, will eventually become obvious. You can fool people for a while. It doesn't really make any difference what they think. It will eventually become obvious. Now is the time to make sure that your life is built on the sound sound foundation of Jesus Christ, having trusted him as your savior and on the principles of God's word. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> thank you. You've been with us throughout this service. You're here with us now. You wait with open arms 
if we'll just come to you. Give us the grace. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage to admit our mistakes to, and, and just turn ourselves to you, whether it's in salvation or whether it's the life, the changes, the things that need to be changed in our life. Grant us your grace.